Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. Michael Brown was a good Jewish boy whose dad was a senior lawyer working in the New York Supreme Court. But Michael's life became one of absolute degeneracy in his early teens. Well, Michael shares part two of his story, and we pick it up from how his druggy friends started going to church with these girls that they'd met. I literally, Chris, I literally watched my morals decline. From the inside, I watched my life and I thought, man, you're getting more and more sinful and more and more wicked by the day. But I thought, hey, that's cool. Look at who I am. You know, I didn't think of it as wickedness. I thought of it as, as, as uh, exciting. So they start praying for me. God's working in their lives. I decide I'm going to go to this church and pull them out. That was August of 71. The first service I went to, the young lady who knew me from high school wrote down in her journal, Antichrist comes to church. Really? And uh, that was the beginning of these folks praying for me. I left the service and thought, all right, all right, look, they have their religion, I have mine, and that's, you know, that's, that's where we'll leave it. And, you know, they're really nice people, and fine, I'm going to live the way they're, I'm living, they'll, they'll do what they're doing. Well, what happened was, they started praying for me, and the Holy Spirit started making me uncomfortable. And I didn't realize it was conviction, but literally, the sins that I was boasting about one day, I was ashamed of the next. The things that I thought made me so cool one day, I was, I was terribly embarrassed by the next. So I thought, well, I'm going to change some of the drugs I'm using. I'm staying up. I can't sleep at night. I'm not going to use drugs that keep me up. And, you know, that's what I thought the solution was. Little did I know I was fighting against God. And November 12th, 1971, I, I felt convicted. I, I felt I needed to go with my friends. I went to a church service. At the end of the service, they asked, does anyone here want to receive Jesus? They did that every service. Didn't matter if it was the same crowd of 40, 50 people there. Yeah. They did it every service. And my friend nudged me. You know, every head bowed, the whole bit. He nudges me like, this would be a good thing to do. You should go up. And I thought, you know, these old people praying for me, because at that point I knew they were, they hear like I'm the worst sinner ever. So they'll probably get a big kick out of it if I go up there. <laughs> I didn't mean anything by it. But my friends had been sharing the gospel with me now for months. We had been talking about Jesus day and night, and things were starting to awaken in my heart. So when I went up to pray with the pastor, and, and he, he took me through the Lord's, uh, you know, the, the, the sinner's prayers, it's so-called, I realized, I, I actually believe this. I, I do believe Jesus died for my sins, and I, and I do believe he rose from the dead. And then he had me say, I promise to live for you all the days of my life. I said the words. And he said, do you believe it? Did you mean that? I said, yes. And he said, I believe you. Well, he was being gracious because I didn't mean it. I didn't mean I was going to live for God the rest of my life because I was in deep conflict. Because yeah. now I believed it was true, but I loved my sin. Wow. And, and cocaine was the new drug that had just come into town. And I had just purchased a large quantity of it. I, I hid it in my friend's guitar case. We left his guitar in a stand, and I used the guitar case to, to put all the drugs in, the packets of drugs, uh, upstairs where I thought my, my parents wouldn't look for it. And the room where our band would rehearse. And uh, I, w I knew I was going home and getting high. I was planning on shooting a large quantity of cocaine and also smoking a drug called PCP or angel dust. And the combination between the two would be overwhelming. And I said, God, you know what I'm doing when I get home. And I'm not willing to change yet. And I said, if you don't want me to do this, then don't let it have any effect on me. I again, a stupid prayer, but what I know is just an, an ignorant, rebellious kid starting to meet with God. So I went home, I, I smoked this large quantity of this one drug, and that would normally have a heavy effect on you. Nothing happened. And then I, I shot a large amount of cocaine. My heart started to beat. 
And then everything stopped. Everything was normal. No effect of the drug. And I realized, okay, this is real. Something's going on. Wow. And then I had a battle for six weeks. I go to church one day. I get high the next. Church one day, shoot heroin the next. And, and finally, I made a decision to, to put a friend out of my house. He came with heroin. We were going to shoot heroin right before the church service. I thought, no, no, I'm not doing it. I kicked him out of the house. I went to the church service on December 17th of 71. I couldn't wait to get there. It was a Friday night. I couldn't wait to get to the service. And when I got there, you know, we sang the old hymns, and it wasn't like the music I was used to. I went to Jimi Hendrix concerts, you know, two of his concerts, Janis Joplin and The Doors and The Who and, and Led Zeppelin and Grateful Dead and Jethro Tullum. And I saw all these groups in concert over and over, different ones, and the loud music so loud that it felt like the, the building was going to fall apart. And, and here we're singing just piano player, these old hymns, totally different world. And I got so overcome with joy. And I realized that this is what they call the joy of the Lord. This is something different. Wow. And I thought, well, think of the greatest high you ever had. I thought, no, no, this is different. Think of the greatest music high you ever had. No, this is different. Think of the greatest sports high you've had, friendship high. I thought, no, this is different. This must be what they call the joy of the Lord. And right then I got this mental picture. I saw myself filthy from head to toe. I saw the blood of Jesus wash me clean from head to toe. And, and then, and then I saw myself clothed with, with these white robes and I was going back out and playing in the mud, you know, by doing drugs and living where I was living. I said, that's it, God. I will never put a needle in my arm again and was, was literally free from that night on. That was wow. my night of transformation. Amazing. Amazing. Did your parents know? They knew I was doing drugs. They got really panicked when they found out I was shooting heroin. I had convinced them I stopped shooting heroin but they knew I had a serious drug problem. Yeah. And when I got saved and I came home and told my parents I got saved, you know, I mean, what did I know? I said, I got saved tonight. And my dad said, hallelujah, you know, just making fun of me. <laughs> well, when he saw the change, he was thrilled. Wow. They were thrilled. And because we weren't religious Jews, they didn't put me out of the house or excommunicate me or, you know, send me away to be deprogrammed. But my dad was disturbed. And he said, look, Michael, we're Jews. We don't believe this. So I want you to meet the local rabbi. And I thought, of course, I want to meet the local rabbi because I want to tell him about my faith. So he set up a meeting with the local rabbi. That rabbi and I uh, became friends. That rabbi then introduced me to other rabbis. And over a period of time, uh, they began to really challenge what I believed. I spent hours and hours talking with them. Here, I barely knew any Hebrew, and they were fluent in Hebrew their entire lives. And in their mind, they learned it from their father, they learned it from their father, learned it from their father, all the way back to Moses. Why should they listen to this kid quoting from the King James Bible? And that's what prompted me to start studying Hebrew in college and, and to learn biblical Hebrew and then to learn the other Semitic languages, ultimately to major in Hebrew in college and then get a, a PhD in Semitic languages from New York University. The whole reason that got me started was I needed to be able to answer these intelligent, sincere rabbis and the major objections they brought. Yeah. I knew that Jesus had changed my life, but I knew if it was true that God would back his truth, and that if I followed the truth, I would not be misled. So I determined I'm going to follow the truth wherever it leads me, and it ended up only reinforcing my faith. And then, of course, God gave me a ministry uh, to reach Jewish people with the good news of the Messiah. 
That's part two of Dr. Brown's story. You can reach out to him at askdrbrown.org. Light and life. The Salvos Weekly Radio Show.